All right, good morning, listeners, uh, and welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. My name is Jeff, and my co presenter, as usual, is Marion. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, darling. Good morning, everybody out there. It's beautiful out there. The sun so, is out. Yeah, it's gorgeous. The sun's out. Blue sky. A little bit chilly, but I couldn't see a cloud, and there's no wind. So if you're going to stay in bed, open the curtains, have a bit of sunshine. We all need some vitamin D, all the women do anyway. We're running out of it. So we need vitamin D. The best place to get that is sunshine. Spring is actually... Yeah, we're going to have maybe three days of spring. Woohoo! Wouldn't that be lovely? Gorgeous. Okay, um, welcome listeners to this week's edition. And uh, as I said, it's brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy and The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients or First Nations peoples. Um, now, the aim of the show is to, obviously, it's news from the drug war front, so we bring, bring in the news yeah. um, locally, nationally and internationally, and uh, also use that as a, uh, a means to generate discussion and... Um, yeah, get yeah. people talking about the issues and... You know, we, uh, this is also available on a podcast. People who, you know, have had experience will know. Um, and we have got an article here that actually talks about uh, the social media being responsible for um, influencing teenagers and young people mm. uh, positively towards drug use. And, you know, we might do that article yeah. when we come to it. It just seems to me that... The reason that news from the drug war front has been on for as long as it has is because it promotes or provides, sorry, it doesn't promote, it provides an alternative viewpoint to the crap that's been um, aired and pre presented through the mainstream media for the last 60 years. Mm -hmm. That's why there's a drug war. So, you know, to say it's encouraging people to use drugs simply because it doesn't negatively portray drug use um, just seems to me to be a little bit unfair, but well, nonetheless... No issues should be on, be beyond uh, alternative discussion, you know. Just some kind of debate. Why do... Yeah. Why has there been no debate? Well, because there's been no transparency. We've been provided with what's been called facts for the last 60 years. Well, those of us that have been around it for that long have been provided for that long, and that's it's just rubbish. So, yeah. I mean, we're not all rubbish, obviously, no, but, a lot of but it. we need some balanced viewpoint. And when you provide a balanced viewpoint, yeah, okay, you're going to get some people who are going to say, well, maybe it's worth not drinking. Yeah, maybe it's worth not taking drugs that Big Pharma presents as being the cure all. You know, like the change from the opiates. In 1955, saying opiates were no longer available, you've got 12 months to get them out mm. at the pharmacy, but that's okay. Aspro is available. Yeah. Aspro will ease it. So, you know, I mean, the, the dilemma is what's the difference between encouraging people to use drugs and giving them the truth about mm. the information that they've had or giving them an alternative viewpoint, let's say, mm. an alternative viewpoint to the one that they've been getting all of their lives. Well, the key is to give people information to make an informed choice. That's right. And the, protect themselves. Hence the safe using place, hence the um, availability of drug checking services. Which is a great um, you know, which development. Are huge steps and really important, something that, you know, 
we feel very strongly about and think that uh, should have been available for a long time because information based on facts is really important and we've never had that um, until recently when we started to check things. This morning? The, the key is to uh, encourage people to That's right. think about the issues, think about things, do talk their own about research, them. talk to their family and friends. And now we've got the drug checking service. If you're concerned about what you've got, that's really important. Go and have a look. Go and get it checked. If you get it from a news source, because we do have problems. Look, the variation between um, doses or between types of heroin at the moment is somewhere between 30% and 60%. That's a, and huge. given that a toxic dose of heroin is actually quite low, that's a big var variation, yeah, big difference in, in the dosage that you're getting. So you need to check your drugs. If you've got a new source, as Jeffrey said, use a small dose, or as Jeffrey was going to say, use a small <laughs> dose first, and then, or a little bit of it first, see what it's like, then, you know, ad advance from there. But don't use it all at once. Yeah, well, it's um, interesting. Um, the, there's a, an, an alert that will come, but there's yes. sort of an advance notice about people who um, use ketamine. Yep. There's been um, uh, samples that have been taken in for testing and it turns out it's... Uh, not ketamine. Well, it's not ketamine. It's 2-fluoro-2-oxo-PCE, yep. um, a yellowish-white powder mixed with crystalline chunks repeatedly presented as ketamine and, but found to contain this new psychoactive substance, like totally new, no evidence on yeah. it, no so idea of the side effects, no, you know, nothing. Be careful. Yeah. So... Um, it's a synthetic ketamine derivative that has not been studied to provide any information on short or long-term effects, safety, yeah. don't know the duration, harmful dose levels or interactions with other drugs. And this is the drug checking service who aren't going to give you rubbish no, or BS is... when you come in. They're just going to give you what they find out or what they know. So, that you know, we're looking at a place that's directed towards providing you with an honest opinion of the drugs that are brought in to be checked. Well, I mean, look, there will be an official um, an announcement about this, yep. an alert coming out, but just in the interim, um, the be recommendations worried. are get, get it tested, mm -hmm. be cautious, have a test dose, maybe a quarter of the usual dose, maybe wait a couple of hours. As I said, there's no knowledge of side effects, no known information, no nothing to go on to even offer Absolutely. harm reduction advice, yeah. you know. And ketamine is um, quite a popular drug in the hospital Indeed. system at the moment. So people are being provided with stuff that they are told is ketamine. Um, they've probably had experience with it in the hospital system and would be quite keen to have a go. So, yes, do be cautious, do be careful. Be aware and make sure there's somebody either with you or if you're using alone, you can get, and we always advocate this, somebody that you can either be on the other end of the phone with or somebody that you can um, get in touch with or be close to so that you can report any side effects that you feel should not be occurring. Yeah. Because when ketamine is quite uh, popular, as I said, and we know what it should feel like. But if it's got some weird effects, yeah, be with somebody who can help you with it. But this is by no means a rare occurrence, Marion, these no. um, new um, no, no, novel psychoactives or, you know, a change of molecule here and there. Well, the 
what's coming through the dark web is just, you know, I mean, there's not just the dark web. It's kind of just on the streets yeah. too. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yes, uh, if you uh, are a ketamine user, um, be cautious. Yeah. Err on the side of caution. Okay. Well, look, karma and the connection, I'll just give you the basic blurb is that Wide ra- provides a wide range of services such as advocacy, which we went into last week, peer treatment support, or opioid, opioid maintenance treatment, hepatitis C treatment, it's involved in opioid maintenance treatment, sorry, um, hepatitis C treatment, education, art therapy, support groups, rehab services, dealing with stigma and discrimination, mentoring and referrals, above all, karma and the connection are harm reduction services. So karma and the ke- Connection are co-located in the Belconnen Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. Excuse me. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Contact can be made on 62533643 or by emailing karma at info at karma.org.au. Excellent. Yes, karma's there to um, help you with any Advocacy issues, information, That's support. Right. Um, and to, to let you know that you're a human being yes. and you are worth dealing with and your problems are probably not only unique to you. Mm. Yeah, that one thing about a peer organisation is that uh, you can talk to people who have been where you've been. They may have been where you've been or in a similar situation. Yeah, yeah. So... They won't have experienced in the same way that you will because your stuff is unique to you. Of course. But they will have had some kind of experience with the, particularly with organisations around the ACT who may or may not be welcoming to drug users, which is an issue of stigma and discrimination. Yeah, which is a big one. What do drug users look like? Well, yep. you can probably get a picture of 50 people and every one of them uses drugs of one form or another, so yeah. but they all look different. Exactly. So, no, well yeah, said. just or, yeah, be aware, Karma is a harm reduction organisation run by peers for their mates. Indeed. Okay, this uh, News from the Drug Warfront um, program reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. The contents of this broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Yeah, and here, Jeffrey, here. just before we go to a song, I misspoke before I said provide services for their mates. That's not what I meant, obviously. That sounds like we, <laughs> Karma only provides people for the one, provides services for the people that no, they like. Open to everyone. It's open to everybody, whether you become a mate or a friend or whether you, you know, whether you just casually blow through and need to make use of the services for your own needs to get an outcome for yourself. That's what karma's there for. It's for peers. It's for our 
community, if you like, which mm. may or may not be um, a close-knit community. It may just be made up of people who are like-minded. Yeah. So, please, it's not just for mates, right? It's yeah. for no, people who for, may be mates in the long run. We're there for everyone. It's for everybody, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm hoping this is Queens of the Stone Age, feel-good hits of the summer, but uh, we will see shortly. <laughs> That was indeed Queens of the Stone Age. It certainly was. And uh, feel good hits of the summer. Yeah. Welcome back to uh, News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion uh, in Studio One. At radio 2XX 98.3 on your dial, Public People's Radio. Did you happen to go to the. Um, I didn't get to the block you party. You didn't get to the um, block party. I kind of thought you might have, but I was hoping. In that yeah. I didn't get to it either. Look, I think the, the Radiothon was a, a success. We had people donate. Um, during that last during week's show. During our last radio um, show, which was a very, thank you very much to those people who sent in money and thanks a lot to those people who did contribute and support 
two double X and people powered radio, and especially our show. Um, yeah, was very good. very very, very grateful. Kind of yeah, them. thank you kindly. Yep, and we've got a few announcements that we need to do, so we'll get those out of the way. Um, the SMOS, which is the Service User Satisfaction and Outcomes Survey, um, there are only openings available on the 25th of October for the LGBTQI um, group and the 1st of November, which is Linguistically Diverse, C-A-L-D. Culturally and Linguistically Culturally Diverse. Culturally and Linguistically Diverse. Yeah, So cold. that's the 1st of November for the Linguistically Diverse and 25th of October for the LGBTQI workshops. Um, and, yeah, so they're the only two that are available. The clinic changes we need to tell you about. From um, November, the clinic will be permanently moved from Wednesdays to Thursdays because Dr Levy and uh, Nurse Kerry are both retiring and their replacements can only do it on Thursdays. So the clinic times will be on Thursdays starting on the 3rd of November and have Nurse Sandy and Dr Eliza instead of Michael and Kerry. Um, Dr Michael will continue at Karma until Wednesday the 26th and once Nurse Kerry retires at the end of the month, that's the end of September, new nurse Margie will work alongside Michael until his retirement. So there'll be some crossover yeah, and continuity. The service will continue. And they and will know what it looks like. Um, people will be The new people will be trained into what the clinic already looks like and how it runs yeah, and be sensitised really, to it. A yeah. really positive addition to the services that Karma offers Indeed. to be able to come in without having to make an appointment and um, see the nurse or see a doctor, yeah. Yeah, and we want to thank Michael and Kerry oh, for absolutely. their terrific work and it's been a really good um, service for Karma to be providing where it's a great collaboration between directions, I believe. Yeah, come directions. From. Yeah, yeah, so it's been really... Really good to have that collaboration. The same with the hepatitis C. Um, and if you're listening to me, um, Mel and B, you need to get along to the hepatitis C council tomorrow or get in touch with Karma. I think uh, there's no... I've just got a note here um, from Sarah. There's no outreach, reach, teach, treat um, at hepatitis C. Physicians clinic. Yep. Dang. Well, on Thursday, because of the, the public holiday... Ah, the, right. So that's right. And um, I thought Wednesday was a public holiday, but it's not. It's Thursday, Thursday is it? Okay. 22nd of September and Thursday the 27th of October because it's a ma- mandatory training day for Dr. McMahon. Oh, okay, okay. But so then it'll be back to back to normal. All oh, right. They should have the, um, you know, the finger prick. Uh, Absolutely, and that's what I want these two people to do is get along and have their finger prick testing done immediately because I know they both think that they are hep C positive well, get or it checked aware out. they're hep C. So get it checked, absolutely. That's all I want them to do. They can find out from um, the hep C council or from Karma yep. what's available and when, but get your finger prick testing done. I said you don't have to have blood taken in massive loads. So they no, don't have to find a vein. That's not going to be an issue, sweetheart. Just be finger pricked. And just get a finger prick blood test and they can find out from that. That's all it takes. And for crying out loud, I mean, that's not how much hard. do we bleed when we use anyway? Yeah, you know, it's not it's too, not, gonna, not, too <laughs> not going to be any more than that. No. Uh, look, I'll just tell you there's also no uh, scheduled overdose prevention 
workshops for uh, the next few weeks, but they can all you can always turn up for the ten minute intervention with Damo. Um, he'll do a quick rundown on how to use Nixoid or the naloxone um, and show you how to do overdose or opioid um, and overdose overdose prevention. Um, Drug and that naloxone is such magic stuff. Yeah, it's been picked up everywhere. Sometimes it is, uh, and it's available cheaply. So you don't often, you know, you don't have to worry about forking out for it in huge amounts. But well, some pharmacists, it's free over the counter. Absolutely, so. and look, don't so just you know get onto it. I've just managed to get Jeffrey to bring me in a box <laughs> this morning because I discovered that what I had, the one that I had left was out of date, so that's something you also need to keep an eye on. So redo the workshops when you can, but in the meantime, you can always come in and see Damo, 62533643. You can find out when Damo's on and do the 10-minute intervention with him. Ten minutes it takes to learn how to save someone's life when they've dropped. Or leave your details for the next workshop. Absolutely. Come to the next workshop and get paid for it, but find out how to use it. It's really easy. Oh, absolutely. It's a no-brainer. Yep. Okay, Okay, um, this uh, first story is from businessinsider.com, which we don't normally um, source too many articles from. Yeah, but, but speaking of <laughs> speaking of propaganda, here's a beauty. Well, it's interesting. Um, cocaine has usually been a... You know, an expensive drug. Yeah, very expensive. I'm very subtle too. Remember I told you last week, listeners, the first time I ever had cocaine, I was told it was very subtle. It was so bloody subtle. I couldn't feel it. it. (laughs) Anyway, it says uh, cocaine in Australia contains barely any cocaine. A high proportion of cocaine samples in Australia have been found to contain no trace of the drug, (laughs) suggesting that supply from Latin America is a long way from meeting market demand in this country. Researchers from the Australian National University in Canberra found that 40% of cocaine samples submitted to the city's can test health and drug checking service since mid-July contained, quote, no cocaine at all, according to a press release. In those samples that did contain cocaine, purity levels were at an average of just 27%. Yeah, that's pretty damn... Discreet, pretty t- and subtle, yeah. You'd be annoyed. 20, yeah, yeah absolutely, because it's so expensive, yeah, yeah. Yeah, The supposed cocaine was cut or replaced with sugar, talc or dimethyl sulfone, the latter <laughs> often being used to cut methamphetamine as well, reported The Guardian. CanTest also tested 15 samples of supposed fentanyl with yeah. none showing signs of these dangerous and potent synthetics. Uh, opiates, said Dr uh, David Caldercott, Associate Professor at ANU's Medical School. Oh, well, that's good to hear. In contrast, all heroin samples tested contained the illicit substance, while most ketamine and methamphetamine samples also tested positive. CanTest's initial findings reveal the apparent difficulty traffickers have in delivering to Australia, despite frequent drug seizures and reports that Mexican cartels have a presence in the country. Aside from the complete lack of cocaine in 40% of samples, purity levels of 27% are well below averages in other wealthier nations. In the European Union, cocaine purity in 2021 stood between 53% and 65% on average, according to the European Drug Report. That is significantly higher. Sure, that's double. The stuff that they're um, finding in the you know, in Australia, you know, ACT. Um, 
John Coyne, the head of strategic policing and law enforcement in the Australia Strategic Policy Centre, told Inside Crime that such low purity levels are to be expected in a drug market as far flung as Australia. And we've heard that actually. This is me saying that over the years we've always heard that uh, because the market in Australia is so... um, relatively small mm-hmm. for cocaine um, and that the uh, availability of it is generally from somebody you know who has been overseas. So it's a very small availability small, yeah. circle. Yeah. Anyway, Australia is at the end of the global cocaine supply chain. This is John Coyne, John Coyne saying this. Um, while profitable, it's a low-volume market compared to North America and Europe. Of course... Uh, is the substitution of concern, sorry, is the substitution of cocaine for another substance, no doubt driven by profit-taking, he said. Local biker gangs typically act as the distributors for transnational crime groups, like Mexico's Sinaloa cartel, Coyne explained. However, he added that such relations are based on ad hoc deals more than institutionalised partnerships. Uh, Mexican cartels have attempted to find a foothold in Australia for years, as Insight Crime reported in 2016. Australia's Strategic and Defence Studies Centre suggested that Mexican cartels, primarily the Sinaloa cartel, threatened national security. And a recent string of cocaine discoveries has increased concerns that the cocaine pipeline to Australia is getting busier. Most recently, on August the 6th, 700 kilograms of cocaine were discovered in Sydney's Port Botany on a ship that had stopped at ports in Central and South America, Australian Federal Police reported. Well, just another article that um, epitomises the... Reality of prohibition. That's isn't right. It? It's Look, all about the, the point. Is you know people want the drug, and yep. the interdiction isn't going to stop the wanting. No. It's just going to stop the availability and make sure that they get talcum powder. Yeah. And given that cocaine is one of the injectable drugs, yeah, um, it's not it's very dangerous. Healthy. Yeah. No. Shooting up talc is not good for your a for your veins and b for your heart and c for your brain. No. Like or for your life. No, yeah. no, and this is the whole point of the argument of a, sa- a safe supply. Yeah, which... so if you are told that you have cocaine, take it along to the drug checking service, which is available on Thursdays and Friday evenings, um, and get it tested and find out what's really in it. Yeah, no, it's, look, it's definitely one of the, the best developments we've had uh, for look, a, it's, a long it's time. Been a, uh, yeah, a fabulous development. And I hope it becomes permanent after yes. the six-month trial and I, the hours can be extended and, you know, it just becomes a permanent part of the um, services that are available. That's right. We, we need a diversity of services and that's one of the essential ones that we've actually needed for yes, I don't know decades, how long, decades, forever. Yeah. Since there's been an illegal drug trade, market, yeah, yeah. drug market, we've needed that service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I can't... Um, stress enough um, the importance of... That's right. And the more drugs that we um, criminalise, the more drugs we take off the availability at, uh, say, the pharmaceutical level or through doctors and prescribing, the more they will be found on the underground or in 
in a um, very discreet and backstreet type operation, but not necessarily as real drugs, but as drugs that need to be checked by by the drug Indeed. testing unit anyway. Anyway, we're off to the news and then we'll be back. All right. Uh, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front, uh, brought to you by the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and it's four minutes after 11. Um, I just had a request from the Chair of the Karma Board, Colin, to uh, just alert people that the uh, this year's Karma Annual General Meeting is coming up in November, um, and he uh, I don't think the date and venue have been confirmed as yet, but we'll let you know as soon as those details are to hand. But... Um, Consider joining as a member of Karma. It's um, not a costly exercise. And uh, you can also consider nominating for an office. For one of the positions position. yeah. on the board, yep. So thank you for that, Colin. Um, okay, look, I thought, given we were talking about uh, the financial motivation for prohibition, that I'd play uh, Pink Floyd's Money. Yes, do that. Yep. Haven't played that in a while, so here's Pink Floyd.
It's a classic, isn't it, man? Isn't it? That's plenty of time to go to the toilet and, yes. and have a cigarette at the same <laughs> <Indeed>. time. <laughs> so uh, that was Pink Floyd with Money from one of the biggest selling albums of all time, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. And uh, we've got a story that you mentioned before um, about social media influencing um, teenage substance use. Yeah. And this is from University of Queensland uh, website, September the 14th. Study finds that social media can encourage teenage substance use. New research has found that adolescents who are active on social media are being exposed to content that could put them at risk of developing drug and alcohol issues. The study, led by University of Queensland PhD student Brianna Rutherford from University of Queensland's National Centre for Youth Substance Use Research, examined how drug and alcohol use content was portrayed across social media. And she's quoted as saying, we looked at almost 16 million posts across, across Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok and Weibo and found the majority of drug and alcohol use content was depicted positively. This positive depiction is concerning because adolescents and young adults are the most vulnerable and heaviest users of social media globally, spending an average of eight hours a day online. Whoa, eight yeah. hours a day. That's a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. It's a third, mm. third of the day. There's evidence to show teenagers who are exposed to high levels of substance use are more likely to use and develop issues with alcohol, tobacco and cannabis. In fact, alcohol and drug use is the main contributor to disease in sorry, adolescents and young adults. Better restrictions are needed on social media platforms to ensure underage users are not engaging with or being exposed to potentially harmful content. Oh, true. Well, that extends beyond Yeah, another way of censoring any debate, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to open a site for debate or an issue for debate, you have to accept both sides of the whatever uh, subject you're providing. And if a proportion of them are not acceptable to mainstream media, of course they're going to go to social media because that's the only place that people can say what they want to say. And they, does this say that we're going to deem harm reduction sites with information to make, you know, educate youngsters in how to not harm how do themselves? You, how yeah. to not harm themselves with drugs and yet... We're going yep. to pull that off off, off the uh, internet. I mean, yeah. yeah well, well, that's another censorship, another means of censorship. Yep. Anyway, the article goes on. The study found user-generated content depicting substance use as positive was most prevalent on social media, which is likely to influence teenager viewers' behaviour. 
only around 21% of posts sampled were found to be from public health and educational organisations sharing information on the harmful effects of substance use. doesn't surprise me that this comes from Queensland, Jeff, just by the by, who've always been pretty negative about um, drug use anyway. Ms Rutherford says public health education organisations need to do more to communicate the potential risks of substances. Quote, social media is an incredibly powerful tool for change and, if harnessed correctly, could be a massive asset for public health messaging, she said. Quote, social media, she goes on, is a huge opportunity for public health organisations to educate teens on the risks associated with substance use. Currently, there are age restrictions on graphic content involving sexual themes or high-risk behaviours, but substance use is relatively unregulated online. Many platforms have taken a blanket approach to banning or restricting associated hashtags, but they can easily be found by publicly available internet search engines. And, yep, that's well, the end of the article, yeah. but I actually I would debate that they're... You know, yeah, just that the outcomes equal the in, the yeah. intention. Yeah, the change needs to be made. Look, we've had decades of uh, misinformation and propaganda, yeah. and teenagers being told all sorts of um, you know incorrect information. Has that yeah. led to good outcomes? No, no, no. And it's and if we're looking about outcomes and harm reduction and health education, then maybe we should also be looking at. Uh, Systems of operation, social systems of operation mm. that leave young people at risk of harm, like orphanages, boarding schools, sure, yeah, churches. Systemic you know, I mean, abuse you've really got to think yeah. seriously about it where your messaging is coming from and whether you're actually protecting people from the truth or protecting people defending. Institutions that aren't doing the right thing. Are, yeah, that yeah. are not doing the right thing. No, so that's yeah, a really good point, Mary. That needs to be debated, I think. All right, this next story I found quite distressing. It's yeah. from Vice.com, September the 14th. Uh, we're heading off to an international story, um, by the way. Uh, Britain's child drug dealers are exploited, traumatised and also neglected by Max Daly. One of the most in-depth reports ever into, quote, county lines drug dealing reveals the daily horrors that young sellers witness and says that children have been let down by authorities. Children exploited to work in the UK's violent street drug trade often have, quote, horrendous life stories and are being failed by the authorities, according to this new, new research. A deep dive into the cases of 13 teenage boys involved in, quote, county lines drug selling networks where children are exploited to sell crack and heroin in locations far from home, found that most of the boys' childhoods were scarred by severe trauma, domestic abuse, periods of going missing from their homes and living in local authority care. This made them highly vulnerable and easily targeted by groomers for exploitation. Mm. The major report, entitled County Lines, Breaking the Cycle, by criminal justice experts Crest Advisory was overlooked after it was released on the day of Queen Elizabeth's death. Mm. Was, that, that's when <laughs> wasn't really, everything for the last twelve days. Yeah, I, I wonder how much you know stuff was overlooked indeed. Or, Bad timing or, or reports that the government didn't want to actually get attention. Yeah. Perfect time. A perfect timing, Liz. Well done. 
but it provides the most in-depth analysis of individual county lines cases so far. It was carried out by linking police records with local authority data and interviews with welfare staff. It identified missed opportunities to prevent children from being drawn into gangs and called for a new approach to tackle the problem. Uh, well, we could have thought about that about 20 or 30 years ago, yes? Absolutely. And Britain seems to have just gone backwards in terms of their... Um, Overall drug policy, you know. Absolutely. And politically, Britain's been going backwards for many, many years. Uh, anyway, the article goes on. The report says the Department of Education was guilty of, quote, a systemic or systematic failure to protect criminally exploited vulnerable children from physical and mental abuse, including torture because of its hands-off approach. The system for helping victims of modern slavery, the National Referral Mechanism, NRM, was letting children down by, quote, placing them in limbo at their time of greatest vulnerability due to, quote, unacceptable drift and delay. That means the non-provision of services, I expect. It also called for an end to the practice of exile, which that's in quotes, where children are placed in care a long way from where they live and recommended young people who've been trafficked to deal drugs should be returned to their home area for a, quote, crisis intervention. County Lines Drug Network, so-called because they're centred around dealers' phone lines and also cross the lines of counties in the UK, have been expanding out of major cities such as London, Liverpool and Birmingham and into smaller towns and cities across the UK over the last two decades. Young people are sent out from their city, inner city neighbourhoods to sell drugs from the homes of local heroin users overseen by older managers. They're paid but often work in grim conditions and suffer violence at the hands of their bosses, rival gangs and drug users. County Lines groups are a major target of the government's 10-year anti-drug strategy have been responsible for a rise in knife crime and gang culture in towns and cities across rural and coastal Britain, such as East Anglia, home counties and south-west England as dealing crews become increasingly embedded out of the big cities. One of the boys featured in the report, given the pseudonym John to protect his identity, was arrested with Class A drugs, two burner phones and cash when aged 15 in 2020. He first became known to social care services when he was less than a year old, so that was 14 years before. When he was five, he was taken from his mother and put into a care home following concerns about neglect, his mother's drug use and exposure, and exposure to domestic abuse. He lived in more than 10 care homes in two years. That was after he was five, Geoffrey, most of which were unregistered and out of the area he had previously lived in. What hope did this poor little fellow have? And I wonder if the mother was actually using drugs heavily or just using or just, drugs full stop, yeah, yeah? and yeah. that was a problem. Yeah. Um, when he was 14, he became a victim of modern slavery and was found working in a trap house where drugs are sold, 200 miles from home. Between the age of 12 and 15, he went missing 90 times and was arrested 
20 times. He was also the victim of four assaults and had witnessed extreme violence, including a rape. Quote, he has that sort of beacon, light flashing over his head, saying, I'm a child in care. Please come and exploit me, a social worker noted. He wanted to belong. He He was always the odd one out. He wants someone to say, I've got your back, and no one ever did. That's a really sad thing. He has nothing. That's so true. It's and really sad, isn't it? It's it is. And, you know, I think when we were younger, Jeffrey, it was a, a recruitment strategy for the army, actually, to get yeah. people who needed families and had lost their families. The army took them away yep. from their local home. were more than 200 miles from home, but they... Provided them with a new family. Yes. And that's maybe what these drug dealers are doing. They are witnessing harmful events and it may be very traumatic, but they've got a new family. Yeah. And sometimes people do have their backs. Yeah. Sometimes that's the only family they've got. When you're 200 miles away from your mum. Yep. Yeah. And you've been taken away and they're saying, yeah, but now it's hands off. Take take you away from your mum, but we won't, no touchy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It's a holistic. That's <coughs> wrong. Issue, they need to it? think about this much more. And then, you know, it's cost free to the government. Just take someone out of home and then flick them out into the community somewhere else. Yeah. No, I think, as you said, things are really deteriorating in Britain. Going in all way sorts down. of ways. Yeah. <coughs> it says, despite his arrest in 2020, John got into more senior uh, roles in county line stealing. He was given responsibility over the, the deal line and was involved in incidents in which other young people were purposefully humiliated. Mm. Throughout 2021, John's specialist exploitation worker described a decline in his mental health and that he'd started using Xanax. She was concerned that John would kill himself. The other day I picked him up. It's really sad because he said to me, if I die, will you come to my funeral? Oh, dear. Mm. Will you support my mum and be there for my mum? And I was like, oh, well, who's going to kill you? And he said, well, it can happen any time. In spring Mm. 2021, John was stabbed. His social worker believed the attack was the result of a drug deal gone wrong. Later that summer, John witnessed his friend get stabbed in the stomach. One of his mates was stabbed quite seriously in front of him. This is a quote. John held his stomach together until the ambulance came. I suppose the first time you see someone's guts hanging out, I guess that's horrible. Mm. But again, it's normalised to John. At the beginning of 2022, he was arrested as the perpetrator of a stabbing. Mm. The report said, quote, children who've experienced traumatic events or other serious problems which make them vulnerable have a higher probability of falling victim to child criminal exploitation in county lines. The records of the 13 young people in our sample all of whom experienced trauma and other serious problems before, ide- before their identifying incident, reveal a pattern of vulnerability which, if identified and responded to early, could have stopped them being exploited by county lines gangs or minimised the harm that they suffered. Mm. Well, that's self-evident, isn't it? I, I mean, would have thought so, yeah. Joe Kaluri, one of the authors of the report, part of a body of research into county lines carried out by Crest, told Vice... Quote, it's clear to me that our 13 boys led horrendous lives and there are many more like them. Vulnerability is relative. It might not always be recognisable. So services have to be better at spotting it. However, people need to know that the devolution of county lines is very real. Line operators are recruiting kids local to the dealing bases and that will make genuine exploitation um, far to spot in the future. 
Hard uh -huh. to spot that probably yeah. is meant to be, yeah. yeah. Or hard to spot far in the future. Yeah, I think that's the word I left mm. out. That's why we need to get our approach right now. Yeah. I just found that depressingly just well, devastatingly it, it sounds relative relevant mm -hmm. to many other places. I think that the problems um, with intervention of the community youth services you know, is a real problem, mm. and taking people look right back fifteen years, yeah, to the beginning when he was first identified yeah. as being the child of a drug user. To what extent was that woman a drug user and how did that affect her parenting? Wouldn't it have been cheaper to have somebody intervene and support at, if and yeah. support the woman at home yep. like they're doing now mm. with First Nations people having, uh, you know, a peer and a nurse support her at home with her children or her child, her newborn baby, before the baby's born and after the baby's born for at least two years? What a sensible solution. Mm. What a reasonable occupation. Why is it only available to First Nations people? I mean, I, I don't res resent it. I think it's a terrific idea. Just it want should to be broaden available to everyone. Yeah. And make it available to everyone because it's cheap. It's not prevention cheaper than cure. Absolutely. Isn't that what we've been saying? Isn't that why we had HIV programs? Yeah. Because it was cheaper to stop people from becoming infected than to have them die of HIV. Mm. Same with hepatitis C. Yeah. Although now we have a cure for hepatitis C, we have no cure for... HIV. Well, not, for, not only for HIV, but we have no cure for 15 years a vulnerability oh, right. yeah, by right. the system dropping the ball. Yeah, it's too late, isn't it? By yeah. Now. Yeah. And this poor kid was taken from his kid mother before he was one. Yeah. Oh, sorry, he was brought to the attention of services before he was one. He was first taken out of care by five. Now, if he was brought to attention before they were, he was one, what happened in the intervening mm. four years? Nobody looked. No. Nobody watched. Nobody intervened. Nobody helped. So I, I there's always going to be heaps left out, left out, Jeffrey, mm. of this, and you can't talk around the subject and expect to know exactly what we're saying or say that what we're saying is true and what the article is saying um, is a, a statement of the bleeding obvious. But the point is if we don't intervene at a sensible time in a supportive fashion, we're going to end up with kids like that in yeah. Australia if we haven't already got that happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. And, yeah. No, I mean, I know kids that have, of kids that have overdosed with their parents, using mm. drugs with their parents. Mm. That's a problem. That's an issue. But it's also about intervention and what happens and who is... Uh, Reporting them, if it's the police, what are they doing about it? Where, yeah, yeah. where is the help coming from? Yep. Not where is the, what is the intervention doing? Yeah. Where is the help coming from? Where yeah. is the support coming from? What about stigma? What about discrimination? Yeah, very sad story. Very sad story. All right, I thought, you know, play Ebon Star's War. I haven't played that one for a while. It sort of yeah. uh, sums up um, our war. Um, it is, doesn't it? Ebon Star.
Evans Star and uh, War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Say it again. Okay, it's 27 minutes to midday. We've got a positive story from San Francisco. Yeah, from overseas. You're on uh, News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion on 2XX People Powered Radio. San Francisco decriminalises plant-based psychedelic, and this is by Alexander Leftman, September the 8th. 
On September the 6th, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to decriminalise a group of naturally occurring psychedelics or ethiogens, ethiogens, entheogens. Entheogens, okay. One of those, one of the above four pronunciations is correct, I have no doubt. The resolution instructs police to avoid making arrests or charges over these substances. According to the resolution, quote, any entheogenic plants or co- plant compounds on the federal, she- federal Schedule 1 list shall be amongst the lowest law enforcement priority for the city, said the board. Quote, and the board, quote, urges that city resources not be used for any investigation, detention, arrest or p- prosecution arising out of alleged violations of state and federal law relating to these substances. This is talking about, uh, say, uh, the uh, cactus-based cactus, yeah. things yeah. Yeah, and yeah. mushrooms and yeah. so on, which things that you grow, which Plants. makes perfect sense yeah, to it me. Yeah, does. Yeah. The decriminalisation, uh, hang on, yeah, sorry. The sweeping language includes, quote, planting, cultivating, purchasing, transporting, distributing, engaging in practices with this substance as well as simple possession. The decriminalisation campaign was led by advocacy group Decriminalise Nature San Francisco. That's great. That's a great name. It is, yeah. Supervisor Dean Preston, District 5, introduced the measure to the board and Hilary Ronan, District 9, co-sponsored it. While the resolution doesn't specify particular substances, decriminalised nature informed filter that it will apply to psilocybin, DMT, ibogaine and mescaline which is what we said, just in different formats. So cactus. Yeah, all plant-based. plant-based stuff. Something that you can grow in your backyard, like it or don't, actually. That's the way mushrooms work. All it needs is cow shit and we're away. Anyway, uh, quote, I'm proud to work with the decrim nature to put San Francisco on record in support of the decriminalisation of psychedelics and ethics. Entheogens, said Supervisor Preston in a press release. San Francisco, the quote goes on, joins a growing list of cities and countries that are taking a fresh look at these plant-based medicines. Following science and data and destigmatising their use and cultivation, today's unanimous vote is an exciting step forward. That's the end of quote. San Francisco is not legalising psychedelics for commercial sale as the state did with cannabis. Instead, it will simply allow people to use and share these substances in private settings without being arrested. The resolution also doesn't apply to all psychedelics. LSD and MDMA, both Schedule 1 drugs, are excluded, but they don't occur naturally. That's not in the article, I might add. That's my statement. Decriminalised Nature credits the unanimous vote to weeks of work from local volunteers to lobby the Board of Supervisors. Quote, we encouraged our constituents to send them personal messages of how these medicines have changed their lives and healed them. Jen Christian, a clinical psychologist with Decriminalised Nature San Francisco, told Filter. The quote goes on, I think individual stories really rose to the top and gave a voice 
to the movement. Well, good on the uh, Absolutely. board of supervisors. Yeah, you want facts, you want research, you want information, there you go. Yeah. Personal stories are just as much research and information and fact as is research conducted by somebody up high. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the success of this measure comes just weeks after a setback, major setback for psychedelic reform in California. Uh, Senate Bill 519 would have decriminalised the variety of psychedelic substances statewide. The bill passed the Senate, but after it went to the Assembly, lawmakers gutted it, taking out the decriminalisation provisions and leaving a meaningless shell. The bill's sponsor responded by just pulling the bill entirely, vowing to try again next year. Um, Christian predicted that the direct criminal justice impact of ending arrests for psychedelics would be minor, as there are relatively few such arrests to begin with. In a notable contrast, San Francisco is currently engaging in a police crackdown on other drug use, led by the mayor, London Breed, and the city's new district attorney. I think we mentioned this in a story a few months ago about the um, the split in the lawmakers in San Francisco between yes, harm between... reduction and more prohibition. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco has become the biggest US city to take this action, but the bigger impact of the resolution will be on destigmatizing psychedelic use for a wider group of people interested in exploring these substances. The resolution itself will offer some limited protection to people who will who provide support services as a facilitator, healer, or guide to others using psychedelics. Quote, decriminalization starts the conversation around how to add protections for for providers because there is an absence of a public directory or referral so individuals can find safe experiences and ethical practitioners, Christian said. A lot of us have friends in the underground and we know about these things going on, but uh, because we're afraid of our licences being taken away, we're kind of in unknown territory. San, San Francisco now joins a small but growing number of cities nationwide that have decriminalised psychedelics in some form. They include Oakland, Santa Cruz in California, also Seattle, Detroit, Denver and Washington, D.C., plus some several smaller cities and towns. But with a population of over 815,000, San Francisco has become the biggest U.S. city to take this action. Mm, that sounds like uh, the Tenderloin District, yeah, the 815,000. I'm pretty sure that San Francisco is actually larger than that, but it sounds yeah, like the central... The actual... Yeah, the... Metropolitan. Tenderloin, which is kind of the way they phrase the, the guts of the city. But, still, um, but it's a great idea, and positive, it, yeah. I really admire him actually for saying no. We won't. If you're going to gut the bill, there's yeah. no point in no putting point. it forward. Yeah. So pull the whole thing. Don't have it in there just a little bit, yeah. because otherwise it's you can't change it. It's easier to introduce a bill than it is to get rid of one. Yeah. So if they if it's not don't doing put the it job, in in the yeah. first place, they don't have to fiddle around with yeah. it. Yeah. If it's not doing the job it was intended to do. Yeah, that's really important. All right. I uh, thought I might play I Want to Be Straight by Ian Jury. Uh. I'm Charlie. You know. I'm Norman. Pleased to meet you. I'm Mickey. Hello. Welcome. I'm Johnny. How are you doing, Harry? Johnny. My name is Davy. And I'm in. And? Guess what? I, I want to be straight. I want to be straight. I'm 
sick and tired of taking drugs and staying up late I wanna confirm, I wanna conform I wanna be safe and I wanna be snug and I wanna be warm I wanna be straight, I wanna be straight I wanna create a place of my own in the welfare state We're gonna be good, we're gonna be kind during the blockheads, I want to be straight. Um, we've got another positive story uh, from the US. Um, uh, we reported when uh, Oregon um, moved to decriminalise after voters approved uh, an initiative and evidently they strongly support that decision. Mm, measure 110 it is. Yes. Measure 110. This is by Alexander Lechtman, filtermag.org, September the 14th. A strong majority of Oregonians continue to support Measure 110, the state's historic drug decriminalisation initiative that voters approved almost two years ago. Besides decriminalising drug possession, the measure also invested hundreds of millions of dollars in extra funding for substance use treatment and other critical services. The public's clear backing comes as many law enforcement agencies, prosecutors, and two out of three current gubernatorial candidates have loudly opposed the law, Without evidence, they claim it will worsen drug-related harms and crimes. Mm. The new survey asking Oregon voters about their feelings on Measure 110 was released by Data for Progress, and here are some of the results. Asked if the state should address drug use and addiction through public health approaches or the criminal justice system, 72% chose public health. 
That's quite positive. Yep. Majority of voters in all of the state's regions favoured this approach. Asked if the state should repeal Measure 110, 58% of voters wanted to keep it in place. It's 82% of Democrats, 56% of independents, but only 31% of Republicans. Mm. The survey broke down Measure 110 into its individual provisions and tested the popularity of each. Majorities of voters supported the elements of peer mentoring, employment assistance, recovery services, health care, housing, harm reduction and ending criminal penalties for drug use. The survey asked voters what they think is contributing to crime and homelessness in Oregon. Given two choices, 69% believe it's due to many factors, including poverty, lack of affordable housing and untreated mental health problems. Only 28% believe that it's mainly due to increased drug addiction and the failure of law enforcement to make arrests due to Measure 110. Notably, 53% of Republicans agreed with the latter statement. <laughs> <laughs> Funny about that. Yeah, what a strange thing. And anyway, uh, this is an exciting time for Measure 110. Kellen Rossinoli... Rossinilio, Senior Staff Attorney uh, for Drug Policy Alliance, or DPA, which has been instrumental in supporting the measure, told Filter. We have this new polling that shows people are overwhelmingly still in support. It's really nice to see this, despite some of the opponent's constant attacks over the last several months. According to the data from DPA, drug possession arrests decreased significantly after Measure 110 took effect in February 2021. Well, how about that? Monthly arrests decreased by 65%, and this trend held throughout uh, the first half of 2022. That in itself represents an enormous benefit to marginalised people who use drugs. And the new survey arrives just weeks after the state reached an important milestone related to the measure. On August 31st, the Oversight and Accountability Council approved all of the $302 million allocated to expand substance use services during the 2021-2023 to biennium. Since Measure 110 was approved, drug user advocates have had to fight the Governor to have this funding issued. While opposing Republican efforts to take away part of the money to pay for more police. Surprise, surprise. Yes. The delay in the release of funds has been damaging to service providers and users. Well, if you don't know the service is going to be there tomorrow, mm. what are you going to, how are your staff going to behave? Exactly. Certainly not without any confidence. No. And the service users are not going to be confident they're going that to be there, be there either. Yeah. Yep. That's horrible. The delay in the release of funds has been damaging to service providers and users. Now the money is being distributed to 237 different providers statewide, increasingly increasing low barrier treatment, peer support, harm reduction, housing and employment services. Quote, we want to make sure there's more stability and sustainability for providers since they are committing to expanding programs and building out services. As long as they're meeting thresholds, they need that certainty. So they need that certainty so they can keep staff, agree to rent, and meet other needs. Tara Hurst, uh, executive director of the Health Justice Recovery Alliance, told Filter, her organisation is responsible for helping to implement the expansion of substance use services. Despite these advances, Measure One One O has faced opposition and pushback. 
especially from law enforcement. What a surprise. The measure has frequently been criticised by police and district attorneys who've argued it will not help people receive treatment, will drive an increase in crime and will attract even more people to Oregon to use drugs. Oh, that old thing. The honey yeah. yeah, that old hoary old argument. Thousands of people. Uh, no evidence supports these claims. On the contrary, thanks to Measure 110 and despite the funding delay, thousands of people have accessed treatments and services who otherwise would not have done. Opponents have also questioned the measure's plan to have citations replace arrests. With a $100 fine, that's waived if the person calls the state's hotline for a substance use assessment. In October 2021, Judicial Department data showed that roughly half of the people who received citations did not appear in court, while only 51 people called the hotline for an assessment. And having a fine still, to my mind, pips it within the criminal justice system. That's right. It certainly does, and with a record. But opponents of criminalisation and coercive treatment would not gauge the success of Measure 110 by these metrics. And most people who access the services that the law supports do so at the community level, not through the citations hotline pathway. According to data released by the Oregon Health Authority in February, over 16,000 people were able to access services as a result of the first round of Measure 110 funding. That's pretty impressive. That is extremely impressive. Um, and I think that... Yeah, just because a lot of people who got busted by the police, you know, didn't ring the hotline or, yeah. you know, didn't pay the fine or paid the fine. Um, doesn't make it a fine. Yeah, that's not data. That's the police crying foul when they lose some of their funding. Yeah, well, they, don't want, they don't want change. They, they like that's the system. Right. Yeah. Uh, Hearst conceded there have been challenges in getting people to follow the hotline process, but said this is because the state has not made, quote, a big effort to put money behind it to do the marketing. She added that service provision in general is where the focus should be and that the state should use its resources to raise awareness of what now exists and how people can best access it. Quote, only then will we start seeing those big results. It's particularly unfair for opponents to call Measure 110 ineffective. Um, Russellina, uh, Russell, yeah. Russell Nellio <laughs> added, when the full amount of money promised for increased services is just now going out. Quote, I'm hopeful that as the money flows into the service providers and they hire peer and outreach workers, that folks will be more connected to services. Well, that's really important. It takes it time. Is. It does to, take time. Well, and money. I mean, you, you've got to employ people to do this stuff in the main. You can't just use volunteers to legitimately get people to do outreach work. It's got to be um, a funded position yeah, and, and it's got to be continual and yep. it's got to be guaranteed. Yep. Their biennial funding has only just come out. So how can they expect people to be on the ground, out with the users, encouraging them to, you know, get in touch with support services? It takes time. Yeah. And... And you're right, certainty. Yep. Um, it's really important. Uh, Hearst cautioned that some policymakers will likely try again to divert funding away from service providers and back to police budgets. Mm -hmm. And other lobbying efforts may try to repeal, uh, repeal the decriminalisation provisions entirely. But in the face of such opposition, Measure 110 supporters now have a powerful weapon, 
knowing that the state's voters continue to stand firmly behind its mission to decriminalise drugs and invest in vital services. Yeah, that's well, great. Good on voters in yeah, Oregon. Indeed. It's and then what we could probably do before we chuff off um, is a local piece, which is uh, fentanyl sips, yeah? Jeffrey, the one have you I got the only copy of that? I think so, but Okie dokie. Well I can give it to you halfway through if you like. This is the fentanyl consumer acceptability and behavioural outcomes associated with take home fentanyl test strips, which is really interesting. Why did we under this is by Rachel Sutherland from NDARC National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre. Why did we undertake this some study? Fentanyl and fentanyl analogues pose an urgent public health threat. And basically they're saying we haven't had a huge problem with it. So I'll really, I'll just give you a brief rundown because that we we're may pretty not. close yeah. Yeah? Yeah. to time. So these substances are of higher potency than other opioids and have contributed to uh, tens of thousands of deaths, particularly in the United States and North America. Many of these deaths appear to be the result of people unwittingly consuming substances like fentanyl that have been adulterated, illicitly manufacturing fentanyl or fentanyl analogues. Now, we haven't had that influx of fentanyl analogues, and that's because, Thank and we goodness. know that because of these test strips yeah. that have been distributed, and that's really useful. Uh, they say they recruited a total of 78 people who'd used heroin in the past six months from the Kirkton Road Centre and Rankin Court, that's in Sydney, provided a short training centre on how to use its test strips to test their drugs for dr or drug residue and how to interpret the results. Participants were then given tentinal, 10 fentanyl test strips to take home and were followed up four weeks later. That's 72 were followed up, 92% follow-up rate, so they... Didn't catch 8%. Um, consumer fentanyl test strips, drug, check, drug checking more broadly, was high. So they used them, which was good. Excellent. Uh, the findings regarding the feasibility of take-home fentanyl test strips were mixed. So on one hand, test strips were cheap and easy to use, and most participants reporting that they felt confident in their ability to use them. But... Despite high levels of self-reported confidence, they had concerns that some results were misinterpreted. Oh, okay. And I actually had heard that from yeah. somebody down here in Canberra too, that how they weren't quite they? sure yeah. of uh, how accurate they were and whether they were reading them right. Yeah. People reported changing their behaviour when they received or thought they'd received a positive detection oh, of for fentanyl. So that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, the overall take-home message is that positive or faintly positive result contrasts the current advice that the presence of any second line, no matter how faint, is a negative result, as well as other studies which a faint second line was a genuine negative result. This discrepancy is con concerning and further results is needed. So basically an interesting study yep. and we haven't got much fentanyl Thank in the community goodness. at the moment, although it is being... Touch wood. Um, yeah, touch wood, although it is being prescribed for those people in severe pain, like particularly yeah, with... fentanyl strip uh, um, patches. Yeah, long-term hep C. All right. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and uh, supporting us during the Radiothon. Yeah. We'll be back again next week. And we'll Lovely to hear from you all and please enjoy the rest of the week. Look after yourselves and we love you and, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Love you, Jeffrey. Take care of yourself. Likewise, Marion. And we'll leave you with our theme song. Bye. Bye.
black sun lays me down with my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown every time just like the last on her ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands never a frown with golden brown golden brown fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day 